Well, gang, we have been talking about love, hope. Well, actually, hope first. What was next? Joy, love, and today is peace. And so these are the candles. And some of you are going, well, Pastor Rob can't count as usual because there's another candle there. Well, that one is for Christmas Eve, which I hope that all of you are inviting friends to. That's the Christ candle. That's eternal life that he gives. That's what that signifies. So we'll light that tomorrow at, uh, at Christmas Eve. Gang, since the dawn of time, there have been certain things that we can count on. The sun rising every morning, the sun setting each day, unless you live in Alaska. Anybody from Alaska here? Sometimes it doesn't set there. People falling in love, like Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez. Uh, people hating each other, like Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez. Conflict, like with Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez. No, we'll give up on that one. Fights, wars. Some of these things are good. Some of these things are bad on here, but they just keep going. Year after year, uh, decade after decade. <clears throat> Honestly, century after century. Um, millennia after millennia, they just keep on going. America's pastor, Rick Warren. Did you know that he was called that, America's pastor? I guess when you have candidates debate at your church, you can be called America's pastor. But he went to seminary in Dallas, and I have a feel. Anybody from Dallas here? Anybody from Texas here? Any Texans? Yeah, because if there's a Texan, you'll admit it. You're very proud of it. You're very proud of your country, aren't you? Yes. They don't think it's a state. They think it's a country when you come from there. So he's called America's pastor, and I have a feeling that's because he's from Texas originally, because they call everything America's in Texas, don't they? What are the cowboys? No, they're not. Just want you to know that. I went to seminary. Four years I had to spend hearing their America's team. They're not. Okay, let's just get that settled. They're not America's team. America has rejected them. Let's move on. Uh. Rick Warren once looked it up, and he found that during the last 5,500 years, now this is about 10 years old, but during the last 5,500 years or so, uh, there have actually been nearly 15,000 wars. Can you believe that? Last 5,500 years of recorded history, 15,000, and I would imagine since there's been, uh, you know, 50, 60 wars, probably now is 15,000 or more. And those are only the ones that we know about. His study was over 10 years old at the time. And even as he was writing this, he wrote a book about uh, peace and, and Christmas and all. He said at the time he was writing it, he counted there were 32 wars going on at that moment. There's over 45 wars going on right now as we're having this service. Some of you are going, is this a math problem again? Are you like George Bush? Is this the fuzzy math? Because I got Afghanistan, I got Iraq. That's what you have. But around the world and in Africa and little skirmishes and big wars and medium wars, there's over 45 wars going on that we know about now. seems like we human beings can't get along very good. Would you agree with that? I mean, that's why some of you are sitting on this side and some of you are sitting on this side right now. You can't even get along. There's an aisle between you. And I don't know how you came up with that, but you're split apart here. We are, however, extremely good, very proficient at disagreeing, debating, fighting, feuding, and killing each other to get our way. We're excellent at that. We just can't get along. Since the fall of man, since the sin in the garden, since Adam and Eve, we have trouble with this. All this makes for a rather insecure and unpeaceful planet. Does anybody disagree with that? I mean, you can find moments of happiness and you can find moments of, uh, of peace and security, but there's, there's periods of time when you just feel insecure. And there's periods of time, in fact, most of the time, right now, what are we thinking might happen? Well, not right now, but a couple days ago, right? Well, a couple days ago, the world was supposed to end. Thank goodness you all made it through that. 
Those incredibly wise Mayans nearly got us, didn't they? Some of you are looking at me going, what are you talking about? If you don't know that, good, good. You didn't pay attention to that. It's great. The world was supposed to end a couple days ago. No big deal. It didn't end. Um, and so we're just, there's always something we're worried about. We're worried right now that Iran will get a nuclear weapon. They probably already have it. Uh, worried that North Korea is going to fire a missile. We're worried that North Korea and South Korea are going to fight. We're worried that the Israelis and the Palestinians are going to fight. They're always fighting. We're always worried. We always feel insecure. There are people probably worrying that their marriages won't make it. There are parents worried that their kids are getting in trouble. There are people worried and insecure about all kinds of things. And Christmas doesn't always help make that better. Believe it or not, for a lot of people, Christmas makes it worse, and it shouldn't. It shouldn't, especially when we're talking about a time of peace. Now, there's a lot of theories that have been offered up over the centuries about how to bring about peace. Unfortunately, none of them has a prayer of working until we find out. I was thinking about this this week, and it's funny. We try to come up with solutions, but wouldn't it help if we knew what the problem was or the cause first? Wow, you are there. Okay, yeah, it would help if you know what the problem was. Fortunately, the Bible tells you exactly. If you're sitting there going, why do we fight? Why do we have quarrels? It's amazing to me that people can't figure it out when there are scriptures like James 4, 1 through 2, that says, where do you think these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Even if you're slow, there's the question, right? All you got to do is answer it. Do you think they just happen? Okay, they're not random. No. Think again. They come about, I love the way the message puts it. I read the message sometimes, which is not a literal translation, but a paraphrase. Okay. Um, just so you know that, because it's for simple-minded people like me. I was going to ask you how many of you read the message. It's hopeless now. You will not raise your hand. Now that, Thank you, simple-minded people like me. Uh, they come about because you want your own way. Listen to this. And you fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have, and you're willing to kill to get it. You're willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours, and you will risk violence to get your hands on it. So you want to know the reason for quarrels on the small end and wars on the big end? There it is. Just read James 4, 1 through 2. But see, the world won't read that. The world doesn't care. All that now falls under the category of low self-esteem and political incorrect talk, so we ignore it. Instead, we come up with different theories. Now, I'll tell you what the most recent one is after I get a drink. Pause for this station identification. Here's the most recent theory. And by the way, this one's been lasting a few decades, and see if it resonates with you. The most recent theories as to why we have wars is the idea that if the world were just more educated, all the wars would stop. You ever heard that one? If we just, we just need better education. Guess who spends, well, guess where the U.S., let's have some fun. Where does the U.S. rank student-wise? There's a few kids in here. Where do you guys think you rank in math and so forth? Low is good, but low doesn't seem low enough for this. In several categories, we're dead last. Science. No, we're not last. We're close to last. We're like second to last. In fact, you go through all these categories, and we're last. Now, I think we're number one in P.E., well, that's about it that I could find. Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, whoa, we, we, we rule. And we'd brag about it. Yeah, we're number one in gym class. But, gang, that's not exactly something to, to brag about. Guess who spends the most money on education of any nation on earth? The U.S. Guess whenever there's an election. By the way, I'll kind of give you the answer when I play this guessing game, which is you guys have figured me out. But... 
When each election comes along and we keep hearing these statistics about where we rank, guess what they keep saying? We just need to spend more money. We just need to throw more money at it. And I look at it and go, well, how come we're throwing more money at it than any other nation on earth and it's getting worse? You'll find the answer today. We're not at peace. We're at war. Look what's going on at schools. I mean, kids are bringing guns to school. There's violence. And I don't need to tell you this. I've preached it before. Uh, you know, it used to be the worst crimes like back in the 50s were chewing gum and running in the hallway were the worst crimes in school. Now it's bringing guns and killing each other. Something's changed, and we're throwing a lot of money at it. So I think James had it more correct, not that we just need to throw more uh, money at it and it needs to be better education. By the way, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to bury that theory so you guys let go of it. That theory was offered decades before the two worst wars ever, World War I and World War II. And these wars, ironically, occurred among the most... Yes, the most educated nations on earth. Did you know that? There were no Bedouins in World War I or II. I mean, there weren't hardly any poor nations. The most advanced, the most industrialized, the most scientifically advanced nations on earth all were in World War I and World War II. The other nations just kind of peacefully kept out. I mean, could there be better proof that we're not on the right track there? That's not the real problem. So here's what I think, and I'm not trying to impress you at all. Just going to offer the only theory that ever worked, and then we'll spend the rest of our time trying to figure out why everybody ignores it. The real problem, without a renewing of your heart that has gone bad since the fall, without a transformation of your soul, education simply allows us to think of more sophisticated ways to fight. Unless your heart is changed towards each other, but at first towards God, then the more educated you get with an evil mind, the more you just figure out crafty ways to commit crimes. The more you just figure out crafty ways to do bad things. Smart enough, in fact, prisons are filled with geniuses. You know, you look at prisons sometimes and we think the dumbest people are there. There are some dumb ones, and it, there's a, a website called Dumb Criminals. I love to look at that sometimes. But there's also some really smart ones, smart enough to figure out how to hack into secure computer systems that most of us couldn't even begin to comprehend, smart enough to know how to plan out the heist of million-dollar jewels and, and, and paintings, genius enough to strategize the perfect murder. that have, There have been murders that haven't been solved for hundreds of years. You know, who's Jack the Ripper? Nobody really knows. Uh, I think it was Jack. But uh, other than that, nobody really knows. Charismatic enough to rise to the most powerful position in nations and then unleash their sociopathic destruction on millions. I mean, you take a guy like Saddam Hussein. I mean, the guy's not stupid, right? He's brilliant. He rises to power, and then he systematically and sociopathically kills people. So they're not stupid. They're not uneducated. They're just evil because nothing's happened on their heart. So without a transformation of the heart, it's hopeless. So an educated mind does not necessarily produce a peaceful heart. In fact, it usually doesn't. Now, what the world desperately needs is reconciliation. So if you've got your Bibles, we are going to be flipping around in these Bibles all morning long. First, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. And if you're slow turning, it's going to be a hard morning for you. I hear a lot of fluttering. Time's up. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You know what's been recreated? I'm a believer, but if you looked at me before I was a believer, you'd say, you still look human. You don't look that different. But inside, something's new. It's a new heart. 
Your heart's what's been transformed. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I want you to remember that. So you've been born again. Your heart's been transformed. You're a new creature because of that. And now you have a ministry. You meaning every single person that is saved. We sometimes say it here at Impact Church, every member's a minister. Ever heard me say that? Wow. Okay. You heard. That's good. The rest of you here, no. The ministry, it says right here, this is where I get it. Christ reconciled us to himself, that's called salvation, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. By the way, I think saved and, and salvation, I think the word saved is weird. You know why? Because if you're saved, you know, the, the, the punishment uh, for being in sin is hell. It's created for the devil and his angels, but if we sin and stiff arm God, then we're going to end up there. So if we're saved, I wonder why we aren't literally just saved. Why doesn't he just grab us and pluck us and take us right up to heaven and that's it and we're saved. Why do we have to sit here in misery, some of us, for saved when we're little kids for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 more years? Because there's, a, there's two things you can't do in heaven. You can't evangelize and you can't sin. So which one do you think he left you here to do? Quiz, right. Some of you are like, no. If you're struggling with that one, that's bad. He left you here right here to help in the mission of reconciling. I'm going to tell you all how you can do that a little bit later. <clears throat> Reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them anymore, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Okay, in that one little scripture section, there's two times that we are told that we have the job as, as, as uh, Christians to reconcile the world to Jesus, to push the lost to Jesus, to invite the lost to his house. So that's the problem. Problem is, we're at war with God. Maybe you didn't know that. Sin assures the continuation of that war on both large and small scales. So it doesn't matter how educated we get, it's just going to keep on going as long as sin is in this world. Between nations and between and smaller levels, like between spouses or between parents and their kids. There's many reasons for conflict. Here's the two major ones. For the three of you that want to write this down. Here's the two major ones. We are all... You like that word all? Do you know what that means in the Greek, by the way? All, same thing, really. That means nobody's exempt from what I'm about to say. We are all self-absorbed. Write it down. We are all self-absorbed. When I want everything my way, and you want everything your way, there's a problem. Somebody has to give way. There's going to be a clash of agendas if we don't. Because we're self-absorbed, whether we admit it or not, on some level or not. Some people are less self-absorbed, but everybody's somewhat self-absorbed. <clears throat> if neither one of us budges, then sparks are going to fly. It's really that simple. That's what James said. Sometimes it takes a while to see this dynamic. For example, it took my wife two hours, uh, my wife and I two hours into our four-hour flight to our honeymoon destination to see this. That's all. Here we are, married for a couple of hours, and I'm going to see if I get this right because you're sitting in the front row. If I get it wrong, then things are going to go bad. So here's how it goes. <clears throat> she had a different idea about the honeymoon. We're already arguing two hours into the four-hour flight down to the island uh, about what we're going to do and what we're going to see. She wants to do, if I can recall this, aerobics, snorkel, go for long walks on the beach, two-hour romantic dinners at various and beautiful places on the island. Hiking the supposedly dormant volcanoes, although the way we were arguing, I, I suspect they weren't dormant. She wanted me to go first, maybe to push me in or something like that. Um, and for me, it's our honeymoon. I'm a guy. Guys, what do you think? 
I mean, it's like, there's only one thing we're going to do on our honeymoon, and so we're fighting about all this. She's got this long list of, anyway, we don't have time. Let's go on. Number two, unrealistic expectations of others. That's, a, that's the second thing. It's just We're fighting and we're quarreling because we want you to, well, there it is right there. We've got unrealistic expectations about the way the honeymoon's going to go. You have unrealistic expectations about how your friends should treat you. You've got unrealistic expectations about what you're going to get for Christmas. All these things. Some expectations in life are valid. On your wedding day, you should probably expect your future spouse to show up. If they don't, I give you permission to be upset. You can complain. When you graduate with a 4.0 summa cum laude, is that what they call it? Because that wasn't me, so I don't know what they call it. Michelle, what do they call it? What do they call it? What is it? <laughs> what do they call you? What were you in high school? Come on, say it. I don't remember. <laughs> wow, that's a humble family. She was valedictorian. You know what I was? Class clown. So, perfect match, right? Perfect thing to show you that, that God has a sense of humor. So, some expectations, and you know there's going to be differing ones there. Um, so, <laughs> where was I? <laughs> Okay, I'm really talking about three basic things that are un- un- unrealistic expectations. Get these down. I got A, B, and C. A, uncontrollable circumstances. So I don't want you to just have to try and imagine what those are. Here they are. I'm talking about things like illness, and I'm serious now. Layoffs, there's a lot of that happening. Death of a loved one. These are things that just hit you. You weren't ready for them. You just weren't ready. They come out of the blue, and you're you're down, you're insecure, you have a lack of peace, you're depressed. All of a sudden, you're robbed of your security because you weren't expecting this stuff. Breakups, things like that. They're just uncontrollable. How about this? B, unchangeable people. You know, the ones that don't seem to get it through their head that you're the one that's always right? Rick Warren calls these the stubborn masses who refuse to cooperate with your plan to change them. I love that. That's you all. And here's the next one, C, unexplainable problems. That's just an, all the stuff in life that just doesn't seem fair. I mean, you look at it and you're trying to say, well, I know, 2 plus 2 equals 4, A, B, C, but, but you're looking at these things and you're going, but this shouldn't have happened. This doesn't add up. None of this makes sense at all. So let me say those again because you've got to get these things. Uncontrollable circumstances, these are all the... Um, what are unrealistic expectations, uncontrollable circumstances, unchangeable people, unexplainable problems. And people usually respond to these types of problems in one of three ways. Okay, guys, I need you to get this because it's going to solve the peace problem for you. And unless you are that wise man sitting on the top of the highest mountain in the lotus position, oh, then you need to get this. Number one, they'll respond by trying harder to control everyone and everything in their life. Okay, can you please be honest with me? We're at church, don't lie. How many of you, raise your hand, are control freaks? Okay. How many of you refuse to raise your hand because I told you to and you're a control freak? Okay, so there's a few more that are real control freaks in that one. Okay, so some people, they just, when it's not working out, you're just going to grab a hold of the thing and just go, I just got to try harder. This person's not cooperating, so I'm going to make them cooperate. I'm good at this, but you know what? That's destined to fail. 
And some people, they don't even try harder. They're not control freaks. So when things don't go right, like I explained those three things, they just give up and medicate or do whatever it takes to get through life. But there's a third way, and it actually works. It's the best way by far. Here's the solution. The solution is found in Isaiah 53, 5. Take a look. There's a price that has to be paid for ultimate peace, and Jesus paid it. Now, some of you might be thinking, I wish he didn't have to go through that. I wish I could have paid that. No, you don't. For one, you can't. You can't afford it. You can't pay it. You're not qualified, and by the way, neither am I. The price was a sinless, spotless lamb, and lambs are just animals, so a sinless, spotless human and only God becoming man, the God-man, could possibly do that. Jesus lived his life and all the way up until 33 years old, he had never once sinned. He was the spotless, perfect lamb. And he gave himself in your place and in my place. You know, the miracle, here we are talking about Christmas. Christmas and Easter are the two biggest times for the church of the year, but the biggest by far should be Easter. The big miracle of him coming as a baby is beautiful, but that's just the start of the story. The gift was what he gave you on the cross. When he spilled his blood and he shed it, that salvation was made possible because of that. Not because of his miraculous birth, but because of his miraculous death. And his even more miraculous resurrection. So let me read that verse again. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced. By the way, where's Isaiah? Old or New Testament? So this is a prophecy. Who was pierced? Somebody that's not even born yet. It's talking about the Messiah. Let's put Jesus in there. Jesus was pierced. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, another way to say sins. The punishment that brought us peace was put on him, and by his wounds we are healed. By the way, it doesn't say we were healed. It says we are healed. Salvation is not universal. It's not automatic. You must put your trust in Christ for that salvation. You must reach out in faith for him. Otherwise, it's not applied to you. So Jesus paid the price for our peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in desperate need of peace with our Creator, that peace can only come through Jesus. Colossians 1.20 says, And having made peace through the blood of 
his cross, by him we reconcile all things, unto, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Now, now that he's reconciled by his death on the cross all things to himself, what do we do with this word reconcile? Craig's the only one that has it. I've said it already. I'm not, I don't even want to hear it. I'm going to pound this home in a minute. Otherwise, you all get a D on your exam. Reconciliation is the restoration of peace. It's restoring peace, reconciling us with God. Peace with God, peace with others, and peace in our heart. It's the most powerful miracle cure for broken lives and relationships there is. Not Prozac, not any kind of drug, not having the best kind of friends, not going to the most parties. In fact, nothing you can think of apart from restoring your relationship that you were meant to have with your Creator can bring about that kind of peace. It's impossible. Fortunately, the fourth purpose of Advent that we lit here is peace or reconciliation. To the shepherds of Bethlehem, the angels announced not only the arrival of the Savior and the Messiah, but also the Prince of Peace. That's one of Jesus' many names. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men, Luke 2, 14. I have a question. Why is the world's peace so stinking fragile? Why is it so fragile? In fact, it would be, it'd be a comedy if it wasn't so pathetic. The most pathetic piece I've ever seen in my entire life, and then 100 years before me, and 100 years before that, and 100 years before that, has to be between the Palestinians and the Israelis, right? Is this tough line of questioning we're going through here? Isn't it? And every president comes into office, and one of the promises he makes is that he will be the one that finally restores peace between the Arabs and the Jews, right? How's that working for us? They can't do it. They can't do it. The Bible tells us when and how that's going to happen. And they can do anything they want aside from that all day long. It's not going to happen apart from Christ. It's not going to happen until the Jewish people receive their Messiah, who's already come. But why the world's peace is so fragile? There's something else. So conditional. So weak. Here's why. Because it's not eternal. It's not eternal. It isn't a permanent treaty that cannot be broken like the reconciliation that God offers through Christ. You know, when you are reconciled by putting your trust in Jesus Christ, you can't go three years down the road and God goes, man, you bug me. I mean, when I saved you, I thought, good grief, there's billions of people I created, but I did not know you were so obnoxious. So that whole adoption thing, here's the papers. I'm ripping them up. You're gone. You're out. You're out of the... It doesn't happen that way. You are permanently... And eternally, Ephesians tells us you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's a permanent peace treaty between you and God. The world's peace can last years, but it can't last forever. Something always breaks it. It's fragile. It's conditional. It's weak. It's not eternal. <clears throat> so what's an answer for us if we want to have peace in our heart? I just kind of gave it to you. Have an eternal perspective rather than a temporal one. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a master at this. Start expanding all your perspectives to eternity. Start storing up treasure in heaven. Start thinking about eternity and the life after this temporary dress rehearsal life, and peace will come. I promise you, peace will come. The peace the Lord brings does not mean that we will never have trials in this life. I'm not talking about that. You only have to be a believer for about a day before you realize that there is a cross with your name written on it that you have to take up every day. Scripture says exactly that in Luke 9, 23. Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, 
You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, that's personal, daily and follow me. Okay? So some of you think, well, that doesn't sound very peaceful. No, there's a difference between serving. You, you can serve the Lord and do a project and help others and have peace, can't you? How many of you have ever gone on a mission trip? How many of you have ever done Habitat for Humanity, built something? How many of you have ever worked with the closet, any of that stuff? A lot of you, okay. Were you joyful or were you miserable? These stupid clothes for these people. I don't want to. Were you miserable? I mean, didn't you have peace in your heart when you were doing that? So you can serve and have peace. Peace doesn't mean you get in the lotus position and never move for 100 years like the Buddha or whatever that is. So what is it about the Lord's peace that makes it so powerful, even in this crazy, painful, and often heartbreaking world that we live in? I love this. This is one of those things I know where I love it and I'm getting all giddy and you guys aren't going to react, so I'm not even going to go down that road, but here it is. The answer is we know the end. We know the end. A Christian knows the end, unless you don't own a Bible and you don't read it. <clears throat> you ever seen those war movies like Patton and stuff? I, I love this. I don't know why. I like playing war games like Risk because I always win. Don't even think about playing me in Risk. You will lose. And it'll take four hours just for you to lose, so it'll be heartbreaking. Right, kids? A lot of you have played me in Risk, and, and you know, come over. So anyway, there's other war games. You know how when they have war movies, there's a big war room? It's hard to work with you people. This means yes. This means I've never seen a war movie, Pastor. All right, and, they have the, and, and all the people come in. Like, so imagine World War II, you know, Winston Churchill. All the allies are in there. And Which president was the one in World War II? Was it Dwight? Guys, it was Roosevelt. Everybody knows that. So Roosevelt and Winston Churchill and all the other allied leaders are in a room, and they got the little pieces, and they have that thing that looks like a back scratcher that moves the ships along. You know what I'm saying? Right? It's a giant back scratcher, and they'll have tanks. You know, I have a bunch of tanks here and say, we need to move the tanks this way, and here's our plan. What they're doing is they're planning out their next move. It's a secure room, a lot. That information can't get out because that's the next move. Not only the Allies have it, but the Germans and the Japanese, they all had it too, right? Well, imagine if you walked into the war room, and you thought it's all secure and it's all locked down, and you go in there, and it's, it's you know, year one of what was like a five-year war. It's like 1940. I think it ended in 1945. And you go in the war room, and all of a sudden you see, well, first of all, um, Roosevelt goes in there, and he's not even entered it yet. We're not even in the war because the Japanese haven't bombed Pearl Harbor. So we walk in there, and we just want to look, and all of a sudden we see that, why are all these American ships on the map? What's this place called Normandy? Why are there so many troops that massed on this thing. Who wrote that down there? D-Day. I mean, that's an excellent idea. It looks like if we cut right through there, we would, we would cut the, the German lines in half, and we could get right into the heart of Germany. If we bombed on this day, we, we could end this war right now. Wouldn't that be crazy? Wouldn't that be wild? It'd be a miracle if you walked in there and somebody had set that whole thing up with the end. And all the generals and all the presidents and all the leaders of nations are looking at that going, this ain't going to be a long war at all. I don't know who did this, but we'll do this. It's going to be great. Now, there's going to be some battles before we get to that. I realize that before we can get it all, and there's going to be some lives lost. There's going to be some hard times, but we're pretty pumped because this horrible, nasty, violent thing is going to go our way in the end. That's the Word of God. That's the Bible. That's the book of Revelation. Do you get it? There's a lot of battles. There's a lot of trials in this life, but we win in the end. The end has already been written. 
That's what brings about that peace. So when you go through hard times, you go through even the worst kind of loss, the fact that our peace is eternal and the war is won, and we'll have even, some of us, you know, we have aches and pains, and we wish things could be different, and we have ailments, and it's ailments, and it's hard to get older and all this. How about the fact that one day you'll be given a glorified body that's much like the body that Jesus Christ has after he rose again? I mean, that's going to be a beautiful, wonderful day. So what Paul and what I am trying to tell you is if you want that peace that passes all understanding, you've got to think about that. That's an eternal perspective instead of thinking about next week I might lose my job. Well, you might, and that's going to bring you down. But also God said he'll take care of you. Hey, I lost my job like three months ago. I got another one I like better. So... (laughs) Okay, that wasn't planned. Erase that from the tape. <laughs> but that's the power and the peace of God in the book of Revelation. It's funny, uh, my grandmother who's passed away now, she used to, I always thought this was so crazy. She loved reading these romance novels. That in and of itself is crazy. But any novel that she read, she always went to the end. And she opened it up and read the ending. And I was like, why do you do that? It's ruined. And she goes, I don't know. Some of these books are so tense I can't take it. I need to know if I'm going to be able to take this. But then it's boring when you read. No, not to me. I enjoy it. Just know I'm not going to. Well, you guys don't have to go through the tension. Read Revelation. In fact, there's not many studies in the Bible that are as fun as Revelation. But make sure when you go through it that you go through it with somebody who knows what they're talking about. Don't take it with David Koresh or somebody like that or Jim Jones or somebody. Kool-Aid drinking. So there may be pain and hurt along the way on this journey called life. Forget there may be. There will be. You can count on it. It may seem like the battle at times is lost, but perfect peace comes by knowing that the war is won. The war is won. And here's the next thing. C, cast all your cares upon him. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 18 says, He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. If you want to have perfect peace and joy like we talked about Last week, you can't be self-absorbed. On the throne of your heart, there's only room for either God or you or money or what? One thing, one person. Make it God, you'll have joy. So we've stopped evaluating, I love the way the message puts this, others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now that we are saved. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. There it is again. Do you get it? Because the beatings will continue until you get this. This is so important. You know why it's so important? Gang, because there are certain days and certain times in the year where the task of reconciling is so much easier. Reconciling can be a couple things. You sitting down with a friend or a loved one and telling them what Christ did in your life. It's called witnessing. Acts 1.8 says when you're saved, you will be my witnesses. It doesn't say when you're saved, you might want to consider the option of being a witness. It says you will be. That's one of the automatic things when you're saved. Well, you don't always have to go all the way through the gospel. Sometimes people say they don't know enough, but who can't invite someone to church? Now, I've been crafting this Christmas Eve message, and I love it. I love what the Lord's going to say. He always moves on Christmas Eve. Uh, it's one of the gifts He's given me is evangelism. I don't know. We're just starting up as a church. I don't know how many people, but people will be saved. 
people will be saved. If you bring them, more people will be saved. So guess what? You have the job of reconciling. Tomorrow is one of the biggest days for you to do your job. This is like your day to get a bonus check from God. I don't know how much He's going to give you. I can't tell you that. But this is your big day to bring people in. Gang, there are at this point in time 200 ornaments, 195 ornaments, I think, on these two trees. They're not just ornaments. They're not just pretty little ornaments. If you look at them real close and you're just joining us now, there's names, sometimes multiple names on these ornaments. The last few weeks have been writing down names of people that we want to invite. And just to keep this, well, I can say some generic ones, I think. Brittany. Probably wouldn't be good to knock them off the tree. Paula. Dad. Those kind of hurt. Here's one that says a whole family. I mean, there's a lot of people there. But I don't have to tell you that these ornaments aren't magic. They rep represent us knowing that we have the task of reconciliation. But these people aren't going to come unless you bring them. They're just not. You may have to go the extra mile. You may have to say, please go out to lunch with us. Come on over to our house and spend Christmas Eve dinner with us. Some of you are horrified by that. Our whole lives, that's been a tradition just for us. No one else has let in. Well, what are you doing there? You're embarrassed about. Bring them in. Aren't you glad that God says, you know who's invited to his family? Get-togethers? Everyone. For God so loved the world. Everyone's invited to his. So why not open your home even for that and bring people in? Let's fill this place with our job of reconciliation. So that's letter D. Start today as a reconciler. I remember after high school, I had a couple of friends who went to join the Peace Corps. I thought, that's weird. What is that? Is that like an army? No, they actually go and help nations and do peaceful things. It's peace-building missions. It was an option, a noble, unselfish option after high school, people in the Peace Corps. As believers, it's not really an option. You were drafted into the Peace Corps the moment that you were saved. And your job was explained in verse 18 that we just read. Let me read it again in the message this time. We are Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. What's another word for that? Reconciliation. We're speaking for Christ himself now. We're his ambassadors. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. But don't dread it. If you do, that's, that may be an indication that something's wrong or maybe you're not even saved. The Peace Corps is optional. It doesn't save you, but it's a pretty strong indication that you are saved, that you are saved. Luke 2, 15 through 18, we're almost done. As the angel choir withdrew into heaven, the sheep herders talked it over. Let's get over to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. They left running. They left running. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Seeing was believing. They told everyone they met what the angels had said about this child. All who heard the sheep herders were impressed. Friends, millions will be singing Emmanuel around the world, which means God with us. We just heard it up on the screen. They sing at this time of year, but there's a world of difference between singing about the Savior and actually encountering the Savior. Once you realize in your heart that that baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feeding trough is the same one who grew up, 
gave away His perfect and sinless life for your sins and mine. Once you realize that, you can't help but do what the shepherds did. You can't help it. I preached a sermon, it's still for all these years, for some of you who remember my divine series through the book of John, I preached a sermon about the Samaritan woman at the well, and I preached it backwards, which I will forever do. I also preached it in Haiti, and 250 people got saved when I preached it. I love it because of one thing. She was not a skilled orator. She was a despised lady. But once she found the living water, once Jesus talked to her, once she had hope, once she was saved, once she had peace between her and God, once she was reconciled with the Savior, she ran to the villages that she was from. And even having a bad reputation, Scripture says she emptied out the village. There's something contagious about somebody who's been reconciled with God. And they all followed her. Some of us think we can't get one person to come to Christmas Eve. How did a woman who was basically a prostitute empty out a village and get them to come? we got to ask ourselves that. Maybe we're not willing to try. Maybe it's a cop-out. Maybe we want everybody else to do it. But maybe as a church we ought to pray. And in fact, as we end today, we're ending right now. As we end today, we're not going to put more or You can put more ornaments if you've thought of somebody on the tree um, after our communion time together. But what I really want us to do during our communion time together is to pray for the names we already have and to commit to God that we will do whatever it takes to get those people here tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love, your joy, your hope, your peace, Lord, but mostly for your gift of your son. Lord, you gave up Jesus. Jesus gave up his life. Jesus never sinned and stood in the gap for us. And, Lord, some of us act like that's no big deal. Or because we're saved, we have too much peace, Father. We're so peaceful, we're comfortable. And as long as we're covered, we don't seem to care about the loss. God, give Impact Church, uh, make us a DNA and culture of inviting forever. As long as we're a church, that's what we do. We invite, invite, invite. And we want to grow this church with lost people. We want to see hellbounders come home. We want to change their destination. We want to see adopted brothers and sisters in you. So, God, we only have one day left. Father, help our invites to be blessed by you, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Pave the way, Lord. Fill this place for both services. And I pray for a harvest, God. I pray that you would speak through me, and I would just be your vessel tomorrow, Father. Grow your church so that it brings glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.